0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. In the Music City, I'm Matt Perkins. Today, I once again have the pleasure of being joined by Sports Illustrated's Greg Arias. I originally scheduled Greg to talk about the return of players to campus, but after the news that came out over the weekend of multiple current and former Commodore football players being accused of sexual assault and rape, we needed to address that first. But before we get started, we can't forget to... All right, Alright, on with the show. Greg, thanks so much for being here with me today. I just wish it was under better circumstances.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I do as well because certainly some things transpired over the weekend that uh – are not great for anybody uh, involved.
0: No, definitely not. And unfortunately, this is not the first time we've seen this in and around the Vanderbilt football program. So let's, uh, let's dive right into it. There were multiple rape allegations against both current and former players. There was a Title IX report revealed online by one of the victims. There was uh, multiple social media posts. Greg, walk us through the timeline of sort of what has transpired over the weekend and what we know.
1: Well, on Saturday, uh, a young lady, and for even though they've put their names out, I'm not going to uh, mention them by name, but a young lady uh, started this whole deal on Saturday with the first report that she had been uh, sexually assaulted at some point in time during her freshman year. Now, the timeline on when her freshman year is remains a little bit unclear, uh, but uh, she named Carrie Blasen or Carrie Blasen game, excuse me, who uh, was a former player at Vanderbilt, now currently with the Tennessee Titans, as the uh, alleged perpetrator of this incident, and said a lot of things, and some of those are a little bit uh, off color in the sense that uh, we don't want to repeat them, but yeah, they are, they're, they're, they're
0: they're quite disturbing. Some of the things that she yes. alleges
1: yes and so uh, that was the first allegation and then on Sunday two more young ladies uh, came forward you mentioned the title nine one of the young ladies and I won't mention her name but uh, if you do a little search on Twitter for this you can find that but she used her own name which the first young lady did not she had a Twitter handle Uh, but the young lady that named names uh, says that she has the title nine information that uh, was done at the time and uh, is willing to share that with people and made some other allegations about uh, Vanderbilt and of course um between the three young ladies and uh, one of these young ladies actually worked as a member of the football staff as a, a, a trainer equipment manager of some type there's so much information and I've been spending I've spent about three hours today uh, going through some of this stuff that I've uh, acquired but uh Anyway, uh, between the three, the allegation has been made that this is a systemic issue around the Vanderbilt football program. And of course, uh, obviously, reaction on social media, you can't really gauge uh, as a whole of a fan base, but the majority of it uh, around these three young ladies comments have been that uh, this is an issue that uh, should according to fans and according to people on social media and take that for what it's worth but uh, should cost Derek Mason his job now how much did Derek Mason know of this is totally unknown he has not made a comment at this point in fact uh, Candace Lee, the athletic director, uh, went on Twitter on Sunday and had a nine tweet posting where she commented in response to the allegations made by these uh, young ladies. And that's been the only response to this point from Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah, which is, I guess, not surprising that they haven't issued anything yet, because if we've noticed anything recently is that they are not necessarily the most forthcoming when it comes to issuing these kinds of statements. But you know, I, I think that it is coming up over and over again that Vanderbilt football is fostering some sort of rape culture. And whether Derek Mason knew about it or didn't know about it is up to some sort of debate. Um, It is nevertheless, he's the head coach and the ultimate responsibility falls on his shoulders. And I think that is why a lot of people are calling for his job at this point. And, you know, it didn't, It didn't help the fact that the accused perpetrator of this continued to practice with the team uh, even after the victim had uh, made her complaint to the Title IX office like she was supposed to do. And that is really not a good look for the program.
1: Well... uh Certainly, it's not a good look in any way and for anybody really involved. I want to step back real quick to the Derek Mason point and say that uh, I'm of the mindset that uh, certainly Mason is the head of the football program and and some responsibility falls to him, but I'm of the wait and see uh, thought process that we wait and see what comes out of this and what was known and and what uh, we find out in the end of things before I wanted to to make a judgment and say he should or shouldn't be punished in any type of way. So I'll say that and get that out of the way. But the most disturbing, perhaps, part of this, well, obviously, the, the allegations of the, of the sexual assault and rape are certainly the most disturbing. I should say that up front. But uh, from a Vanderbilt perspective, knowing this and then allegedly, according to the young lady, uh, the player in question was, expelled from the university, but as you mentioned, then allowed to stay around and practice and use the facilities uh, right up through and until he graduated. And if that's true, that's uh, certainly uh, something that I think would fall on Derek Mason's head Perhaps more heavily than anything else, because if the kid was expelled as she contends and still allowed to be around, obviously Mason and the football staff or somebody there uh, thumbed their nose at the authority of the university to expel him if that's all true. And again, these are all allegations at this point.
0: Yeah, they are all allegations, and it, it it brings me to two thoughts, I guess. First of all, obviously, it is the allegations are heinous. The descriptions are vivid. You can go find those out on the internet, whether it is in posts at multiple websites mm-hmm. or on Twitter. But, um, I would recommend that you do so. But secondly, that, uh, you know, in in I I, I don't want to sound crass because the crime is, like you said, Greg, the most heinous part, but. The cover-up is what will get him fired, I think, if it, that is what to come of it. It's the, if it, if it. If it is to cover up that, yes, he, that, that Coach Mason knew about this and covered it up and still let the guy practice, that's, I think, what the ultimate sort of downfall could be, should it be true. But we do need to let it play out. We need to not go too far out on a limb right now, but also toe the steady line of also believing the victims and believing what they have to say.
1: Exactly. And it's a fine line. You certainly want to believe the victims and give them every benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, you also have to consider that uh, still in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. And I'm not ultimately the uh, the judge or the jury in the matter. So until and if until there is a day in court, uh, these gentlemen remain accused, but not convicted uh, of doing what they've uh, been alleged to do. And so as a reporter, that's the biggest line that we have to make sure that we um, watch and follow is is to be uh, cognizant and uh, thoughtful of both sides of this and, and not uh, become the judge and jury and not uh, put out any facts that might be incorrect, that might lead people to believe one side or the other inaccurately.
0: Yeah. And so that's actually one thing I wanted to talk to you uh, about, Greg, is, you know, you've been covering sports in middle Tennessee for a long time. And so we've seen this multiple times from the Vanderbilt football program. And does this remind you of the, you know, the uh, court, the court cases that we had a couple of years ago? And, you know, do you think this will turn into something like that?
1: You know, that's a great question, and I really can't answer that because obviously, and I think that uh, perhaps this uh, situation certainly could be different. We obviously don't have all of the facts, but in that previous case, there were some text messages and things that were shown. We don't know if anything like that exists at this point between the uh, vi- alleged victims and the alleged perpetrators that might indicate anything. You know, there, there's still just so many unknowns uh, that, and in, in fact, with the first young lady that had happened four years ago, it's gonna be difficult for the police to go back and, and to do a proper investigation, uh, depending on how much of evidence that is still available that they could use. So will this wind up being an, a situation that goes to court? I don't know it, it's just hard to predict at this point in time, but certainly it has the potential I think in perhaps uh, some of if not all of the cases to do that and could end up being something similar to what we saw in the, the last situation or it could uh, totally fall apart uh, again, that's just something that I, I am slow to want to try to predict the one,
0: uh, the one thing that I have seen in response to this is we have seen uh, multiple current players and former players stand up, sort of, to this. There, there has not been the same necessarily code of silence around this. We have seen multiple players, including uh, guys like Cam Johnson, saying, you know, we have to believe women. We have to, you know, um, you know, listen and understand and be better about this and take accountability for that. So, I think, in you know, at least in that way, it is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see the, the players at least taking some accountability for it. But um, I want to move on, though, to what I originally uh, actually talked to you about last week about coming on the show for, which was talking about the restart of football in the SEC and across the country. And we've seen players coming back to schools in some way, shape or form in pretty much every conference. But alongside that, we have outbreaks of COVID at multiple schools. LSU, Clemson have both had outbreaks with dozens of players testing positive positive. What, uh, you know, what is the latest from both at both the Commodore level and sort of college football at large when it comes to restarting?
1: Well, I guess you could say as far as Vanderbilt goes, no news is good news because obviously uh, they have not released any information on any players testing positive and uh, nothing has been reported by any outlets that I'm aware of to that effect. Certainly the numbers are kind of scary when you look at LSU with 30, Clemson with 28, You know, a a couple of weeks ago, we saw Alabama reported with five or six guys and a couple of other schools uh, had five or six guys. But now that you're talking 20 uh, and 30 in these two schools, it begs the question of will we be able to pull this off? And I say we uh, as college football as a whole, those of us that cover the sport, of course, um, have a lot riding on this as well. Uh, Not as much as the universities financially, but. uh, Certainly we have a stake and a vested interest in this and, and can we get to it? Uh, Should this second wave come in and should it hit uh, as strongly as the first did and, and potentially uh, sabotage this whole thing? That's, The the million dollar question that I think uh, is the biggest thing facing the sport. And then certainly the other questions about what to do about fans. Will there be full stadiums? Will there be half stadiums? Will they allow, you know, five or 6,000 season ticket holders? Exactly how those things play out remain to be seen, too.
0: It's definitely not going to look like it did in the fall of 2019. We know that for sure. But how it does end up looking is, you know, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. At this point, I, I, I feel like but as you know, as what is supposed to be the kickoff to summer camp, uh, to our fall camp, I should say comes closer and closer each day. I got to imagine that there's just so much uncertainty for both the players and the coaches and sort of knowing what to do to prepare and get ready.
1: Yeah, that's true, because you just don't know. And in the case of Kansas State, they've actually uh, suspended all voluntary workouts for two weeks to try to uh, get a handle on the number. And I don't remember the exact figure that was reported that they had. It wasn't uh, the Clemson or LSU size, but it was certainly enough that they were taking the precautions to suspend for two weeks. But You know, the the joke started initially when the Alabama reports came out that Nick Saban was trying to give the entire team the virus so that they would have the immunity to it and be good to go during the season. I certainly don't think that's
0: uh, the old inoculation strategy.
1: Yes, exactly. I don't think that's the case. And I certainly uh, don't think that's the case with Clemson or LSU. But in a kind of weird way, that could well play to the favor of the teams that have had these issues should we get into a season that they've had so many players. Now, again, you know, it depends. Are these bench guys that are potential freshmen and sophomores that might not see a lot of time or were they starters? Certainly that could be a factor. But getting through some of this and having some people with immunity and certainly I don't want anybody to say, to be sick or to sound like that I'm saying that they should get sick. That's certainly not the case. But once they have it, obviously there's nothing we can do about it. And certainly from their their standpoint of having it and getting over it and moving forward, if the reports are correct, they can't really get it again. So that would be a positive, at least from the standpoint of hopefully being able to have a season
0: yeah you're definitely right and it is it's going to be interesting to see you know you mentioned it you know it, it shouldn't matter who gets it but if it is younger kids I mean it's a big difference if Trevor Lawrence gets COVID and is out for two weeks in the middle of the season than if the you know backup defensive analyst's nephew who's a walk-on you know kick holder is you know get, gets COVID it affects the team in very very different ways and I'm curious to see if we just have this sort of Okay, you have it. You have to go isolate for 14 days. Everyone else keep going. Or do you have to have these big sort of um, I- I- isolations? Well, you know, it's not just, you know, take the case of Clemson. If it's not just Trevor Lawrence who has it, it's the entire backfield, it's the center who he's near. You know, do you have to isolate all of those guys as well? Is it everyone who's in the quarterback room? It becomes this sort of big, you know, un- almost, you know, th- this giant ball of string that is just impossible to unwind.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there, there's just so many things. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm supporting of kids getting sick, but certainly people at their age and their athletic level and their level of fitness have a much higher survival rate than some of us older folks. And <laughs> I say that not to be flipping at all, because certainly any uh, any sickness and any death that has, has come to anyone through all of this is certainly uh sad and and a tragic situation through no fault of anyone's uh you know that this virus has attacked the world the way it has but uh certainly these young guys getting it as i mentioned with their their health and fitness uh, can handle it better and still we don't want them sick but it's it's just a crazy situation and certainly everything right now is unprecedented in what the colleges are doing, how uh, the NCAA and the individual conferences will go about that. And there's just so many unknowns. And we as fans uh, want to see college football, the coaches and the players and the schools want and need financially to play the games because football is the uh, driving force for academic or for, excuse me, for athletics, uh, certainly at the major schools that allow them to be able to fund other programs that are not revenue producers so they want to do it from that standpoint but you know at what point does this thing get to where they potentially have to pull the plug on it again and does it get there will it get there we don't we don't know that's just all uh, that remains up in the air
0: and then when is that decision made you know is that decision made a month in advance or a week in advance
1: well i'm sorry go ahead
0: no i was just gonna say like it's you know. You know, if you have to pull the plug, you would think they're going to want to wait until the last minute, but then you're going to have more and more people being like, well, I bought all these tickets for the last minute. And then all of a sudden it, it becomes just so almost like monumentally difficult to think about.
1: Well, I know a couple of schools that I have spoken to season ticket holders with uh, have sent out the season ticket holder information with the caveats attached of at this point, we don't know if we're going to allow 100% capacity or 75 or 50. You can reserve your season tickets and you can pay for them. And if we don't have a season, then that money will be either given back or applied to the following season. So that's one of the ways that at least a couple of the schools Are handling the ticket situation, and there's been talk of perhaps dividing the tickets. In other words, with a a team having, uh, let's say, seven home games on the schedule, some of the season ticket holders might get tickets to four, some might get tickets to three. None will possibly get tickets to all the games. That way they can kind of accommodate everybody and try to allow as many people as possible to attend games without just making it, hey, these certain amount of season ticket holders get to go to every game and the rest of you're out of luck till next year.
0: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how they figure it out. Well, listen, Greg, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with me here today to get us uh, caught up to date on all of the issues good and bad around Vanderbilt football. So um, make sure to check out Greg's Commodore country blog and find Greg on sports illustrated. So uh, thanks again, Greg, for joining me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me and look forward to doing it again sometime in the future.
0: All right, we'll be talking to you soon. And until next time, anchor down. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.